Well, good morning. How is everyone? Hey, we got a lot to do. Let's, uh, let's dive uh, right in. Um, welcome. We are uh, glad that you're here. Um, again, my name is Brent. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries, and uh, we're going to talk today um, and, and hopefully uh, get across to you um, that this season brings about a very difficult time uh, for the needy and poor and for the rich and famous. And so we have something in common, and that is all of us, and what a universal problem is, is discontentment. So this season, rather than uh, focusing on what is on our Christmas list, uh, which if many of you did look at your Christmas list, I bet you none of them have on there the word wisdom. Now hopefully that's the case, and uh, last week you probably got a little dose of that's what we're giving you this Advent season and Christmas season, but the series is the gift of wisdom and looking at the Proverbs, and we're going to be there today, we're going to go all over the place, but we're going to talk about wisdom and what it looks like to be a wise steward of not only your money, but time, talents, and treasures, and all of the good stuff that God has blessed us with, um, and really the spirit of contentment. The Bible talks a lot about being content, and so we're going to dive in this morning. So if you would, do me a favor, grab a Bible, okay? Um, I purposely don't have slides for scripture references. I want you to flip the pages or flip the screens, okay? That's fine, too. Um, but I like for you to study and whatnot. You can read before and after. It's kind of a more of a, um, a time where we can develop into our, our Bible study skills, uh, so grab your Bibles. Um, let's do this. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to start here um, and then move into uh, some other texts in the um, New Testament. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. It says this, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let's pray this morning. Father, God, we, we love you. We have heard time and time again a numerous amount of sermons about contentment, about peace, about finding, your, finding the peace that rests only in Christ. We've heard it a lot, God. And what, what really that speaks to me and what that tells me is, is that we need you to show up here. Or it's just words. It's just a monologue. And God, please show up. Be here as we talk about what it means to be content in you. What it means to look to you for peace, what it means to be content, especially in this season. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So confession time, um, I got to be honest with you. Um, I, I have lived vast majority of my life um, with a discontented heart. Um, that, that's just a reality that I live in. Um, when I was a young um, kid, 
I would always want more. In fact, if you're a parent, you probably get this every single day. I want more. That I want more time here. I want more this. I want more this. Can I have the car? Why can't I have the car? So I lived the vast majority of my kid and teenager's life with a discontented heart. I was an athlete in high school, so I wanted more playing time. Uh, when I got married, um, I wanted a house. I wanted a bigger apartment. I wanted... Um, you know, more, a better job. I wanted more money. And really, I'm not alone in that. Really, I would feel like everyone in this room has felt that at a time or two in their life. Maybe that's you right now. And the Christmas season kind of highlights this idea that we want more, that, that we, we need something that we maybe don't really need, but it's such a big desire that we hide it under the language of a need. And yet, Contentment and discontentment really isn't just a seasonal problem, is it? It, it, it is a universal, it is a yearly deal where we go for, through every single week of the year. So whether it's heightened now, it's really a problem that will be with us this time next year and in the middle of the year. So in my study this week... And, and I, I got I to tell you, it, it's probably the, one of the more convicting weeks of the year for me, uh, studying for a sermon. So you're going to get a 35-minute sermon on discontentment. Um, I did 10 to 12 hours on it, and I just was just wasted, man. I was just like, man, I am ridiculous when it comes to being discontented. So um, I hope and pray that you're half as convicted as I was in 40 minutes uh, or 35 minutes. So that's my prayer for you is that you leave this place. Like, man, I, I need to have a little bit more peace in my life. Um, so that's what we're doing um, but I, I looked all around um, for some definitions of contentment. Um, and, and here's what, what, what I did. We're, we're going to read um, the, like a biblical definition of contentment and kind of look in the New Testament to see. Paul has, has claimed that he has learned the secret to be content. So what does he say about contentment? So let's go there. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, you, you can follow along. It's um, verses 9 and 10. And Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. And so he's come to grips in the context here with the thorn in his side, the, the God-given thorn that he is, has to live with every day, the weakness, he calls it, and he is content with it. Go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Beautiful verse of what it means to be content in the charge that he gives Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Isn't that so true, church? We, we brought nothing into the world. And, and, and everything that we accumulate throughout our journey on earth as humans, we, can know, we cannot take with us. We leave it here. And, and so if we just have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. I mean, that, that is simplicity at its best. Listen to Hebrews 13. I love this verse. And, and it, it, we can't go a Christmas message on wisdom without bringing up money. Right? 
contentment at Christmas, we've got to address it because it's everywhere in our society, in our culture, where we live in, in Frisco, Texas. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, keep your life free of money, free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Why can I be content? It's because I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is your helper. And so what what I hope that you see in these verses is that one, contentment was a normative charge for the New Testament church. It was normative for Paul to write to an audience that, hey, I want you to be content. I I want you to learn the ways of contentment. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to go and go there later on in the sermon, so you can go ahead and get there now. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, Paul will, Paul will say this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then the famous verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so with this in mind, I sought to find a definition uh, that I could present to you today. Here's what, here's what uh, there's tons of them. If you Google contentment, I mean, it's nuts how many definitions come up. I love this one by Sinclair Ferguson. He's a, a, a seminary professor here in Dallas. He says this, contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord at his disposal. So when we use this word contentment, that's what I want to convey is this idea that we, if you're content, you have no higher ambition in life than to just belong to the Lord and be at his disposal. That, that we can back up and we can say, God, I, I am yours and, and, and I am here to do your will. I am here to be a servant, to be a vessel for you on this life, and I, and I belong to you, and I want you to use me. That, that is a contented spirit. Um, now, the writer of Proverbs will open the door here in Proverbs 30 to some pretty ugly stuff when it comes to discontentment. So in our discontented heart, it says this, is that lest I be full and deny you, that's, okay, let's stop there. To be discontent when, you're, when you have too much, when you're in plenty, when Paul says you're in abundance, we can be trapped and we can say, I, I deny you. It wasn't because of you, it was because of what I have done to gain the wealth, to gain the abundance and lest I be full, deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's a danger. That opens the door up to some pretty ugly stuff. Also, it says this on the other side, lest I be poor. So now we switch gears and go to the other side. Lest I be poor and steal. That I would revert to having to steal because God hasn't provided me with what I need. That's the thought process. And profane the name of my God. Notice the possessive 
the my God and profane the name because I wanted something that I didn't get. And so underneath our discontentment is some pretty ugly stuff, and the Proverbs kind of opens the door. Let, let's look into some more of the ugly stuff that is under um, our discontentment. Um, I think one of them is, is a natural, um, if you're discontented, you're going to be uh, ungrateful. Ingratitude really comes out when you are discontented. And, and we see this because really, if you're a believer in this room, God has sent his son Jesus, to, to come and, and leave a throne in heaven and to exchange it for a manger in heaven or in, on earth. And he lived a perfect life. And, 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 and he, he went to the cross, willingly gave himself up for you. Now, what we do is we typically kind of run past the whole I lived a perfect life thing. We kind of just jump to the, the death because it, it kind of hurt and, and, and it, was a, it was a scene, and, and it was a sacrifice. But we kind of jump past the live a perfect life. Guys, that wasn't easy. God was fully human and fully God, 100% of both. And to use the logic that, well, he was God. I mean, he was fully God, too, so it must have been a little bit easier for him to live a perfect life. It's the same as saying, well, the nail didn't hurt as bad as it would I if I'd got nailed in my wrist. Or hand, whichever one you hold to. And so he lived a perfect, for us, he lived a perfect life to go to the cross as a perfect, blameless lamb. And, and we still get frustrated because we want a bigger house. And, and, and we still get frustrated because the job that we have isn't quite doing it for us. Or the financials just aren't making it every month. And so we're like... Why haven't you blessed me with some of these things? And, and, and we have a spirit of ungratefulness. And, and it points to and exposes that out of us. I, I think also under this uh, umbrella of discontentment is, is really an, an arrogance, if I'm honest. And, and, and this is what I quickly found out when I, when I opened um, the scriptures up. And I studied this week. And I was studying on contentment and discontentment and finding peace in Christ. And, and, and here, here's what I exposed in myself was there was an arrogance that, I, that sometimes I think I can do it better than God can. That, that my plan for my life is better than what God has in store for me. Just a week and a half ago, I had this thought. Is that most of you know my foster son, Brigham, uh, went to go be with his dad um, and that's a phrase that you usually say when he passes away. He went to go live with his biological dad in California. Um, and and, and it, was just a, it was just a hard moment for my family. Here we have loved and have been told that this son, uh, could, could, you could adopt this son one day. And so we've been fed this for about four or five months. And, and, and so the day comes when his dad's here to pick him up and we have lunch with him. And, and, and after lunch, it's time to load up his stuff. And, and I get on my knees and, and hug my, my son for all intents and purposes. And, and I look at him and I look at John as his dad. And, and I said, Brigham, this is, this is your real daddy. Now, I, I will always be your daddy. I want you to know that. I will always love you. But, but I want to introduce you to, to your real daddy. And in that moment, I got to be honest, guys, I was mad. 
I, I, I was furious at God. I, I am a better dad than this guy. I, I know it. He hasn't even been around. God, God I, I, I have a better job than this guy. God, I make more money than this guy. God, I, I live in a better house than this guy. Why are you taking him away from me? I could provide him a better life. And God says, no, I got plans for him. Britt, don't you know that I love this guy more than you could ever love him? And so we said goodbye. And it was hard. It was hard. And I still struggle with it. But we do too, don't we? God, we think that we can do what's best for us. When God's like, no, no, no. God, I, I know what's best for you. Trust me. And so there's an arrogance about us. There's also lust and greed attached to our discontentment, right? The, the fact that I want more in life. That you're never satisfied with what we have, with what God's given you, so you want more. And we see it in our kids all the time. I think developmentally, contentment's probably just not going to happen for kids. Um, that's just not there. We can teach and guide and reinforce ideas of contentment. Uh, but, but the reality is, is that you know, when they are... When, when they are on an iPad and you take it away, they're going to want more time on iPad. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just what happens. The struggle in our house, probably in your house, um, they always want more. It's the same thing, that God has blessed us with all these things in our life, yet we, we want more. And I think at the center, I think really at the center of, of discontentment lies um, our distrust. It, it really exposes us in our lack of trust for God. I mean, if, if, if we're really, if we step back and we say, God, I, I won, I think I can do better than you, okay? That's a dangerous place to be. We want to be little sovereigns around, running around and doing things that we want, think that we need to do. When God is ultimately sovereign over our lives and, and we think, no, I don't trust your plan. I trust my plan. It really isn't the issue of the stuff we want, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's not the issue of the things that we need. The house is not the issue. The money is not the issue. What the issue is is the trust that you don't have that God is blessing you with right now. I see it in my life. And so underneath the discontentment really is some ugly stuff. Really nastiness. I think the writer of Proverbs is introducing the idea that, man, discontentment is a very dangerous place to be. And if it is, we need, to, we need to get out of it. We need to learn the secret of being content. What does, um, and I want to flesh this out. I think it's important to flesh this out because really in our discontentment, there, there, are, there are some fruits that go along with our discontentment. It, the things that produce out of a con discontented heart. Uh, and I want to talk about these today. One of them would be, um, I think, is that it hinders our worship. It, it really hinders not what we do in here, but our worship that we do outside these walls as well. I mean, how can you worship a God you don't trust? How can you worship a God that you think that you're doing it better than him, right? 
And, and, and how can you, how you can't serve two masters. Matthew chapter 6 is very clear. You can't serve two masters, the love of money, the love of anything other than the love of God. And so we kind of, this idea that it, it, it hindered, it erodes it. That when we get in here, worship is giving worth and valuing God to the highest extent that he deserves. And that in and of itself can't be done if we, if we don't trust him. I think it, in, in, in another reality, I think it, it bears fruit of, it rejects ministry. It, it rejects or, or misses, maybe a better word, misses the ministry that God is trying to place in our life. So when I went to um, school this past October, uh, my family got to come up with me. It was a really great time. And um, we were going to Disneyland uh, for a couple days before class started. And we were playing outside the park. Okay, uh, So we got off the tram. If you're familiar with Disneyland, you got off the tram. And we're walking towards Disneyland. Uh, and there was, some, uh, there was some really cool like um, um, statues on the side of the thing. We haven't even entered the park yet. Disney is so great, right? Disney is Disney even on the tram, okay? So it's so much fun even on the tram. But we get off, and, um, and on, the, on the side of the walkway were some, were some um, statues, Donald Duck, Minnie Mouse, all, the, all the, the core ones, right? The people that didn't even go to see them anymore, you know, but they're the ones that kind of started Disney. And so they're playing with them, and, and, and we're trying to get them to go in the park. Guys, come on. Kenzie, come on. Let's go in the park. Come on. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm good right here. No, 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 no. It's time to go into the park. We didn't pay for this. We, we paid for actually behind the, the gate. No, I'm good here. And it was really hard to get my kids to want to go actually into Disney Park. Because what they thought, they thought I was trying to take them away from what they thought was their joy. They were content right here. They, they just wanted this, but behind the gate, man, they didn't even know what was behind the gate. It was the big castle, right? It was all the the, the cool Mickey Mouse running around, right? That was a pales in comparison to what God does for us. We, we can think that we have in our spot. We, we're, we're just, we're in, the, we're in the mud just kind of going back and forth. And we think we're doing what we want to be doing. and think what we need to be doing. And God's trying to call us somewhere else. And we're like, no, I'm good right here. And so we reject the ministry that God's trying to give to us. Or, or, or we miss the opportunity that God's giving us. And we think that God's trying to take us away from our joy, but really he's trying to give us more joy. He's trying to give us an abundance. Yet we sit right here and we're just so fixated and focused on what we think we need rather than what God's trying to give us and offer us. It rejects or misses ministry. I think it, I think it robs us of our ability to live in biblical community. It robs us of that joy. It robs us of that ability to be communal. When we, when we step aside and we look, um, the opposite of contentment can be covetousness, right? And so when we look at other people that have what we want, we, we begin to say, well, hold on, tell me, I don't know, how did you, why? Why did you get that and I didn't? And, and, and it, it stirs within us an, an inability to celebrate with them. At that moment, right? That in that moment, we, we are unable to celebrate because we ourselves are discontented and we want what they have. And so we compare ourselves to other people, right? 
and we do it all the time. Maybe not other people, but we, we compare ourselves to what we see on the uh, inside the magazines or inside uh, of stores, department stores, especially around this time of year. And so this idea of comparing ourselves to what the media says we should be, compare ourselves to what people have in their life that we don't, and it robs us of our ability to celebrate. Celebrate with one another, with our family, with our friends. And so it exposes this fruit of discontentment, really does some nasty stuff. Not only is it nasty, not only what's behind it's nasty, but what it produces is nasty. So I've talked this morning a lot about the ugliness, gone back and forth, contentment, discontentment. Well, what do we do? What's the, what's the secret? Paul says there's a secret here. There's a secret attached to this. What, what, what did he learn that we ought to learn? Well, Philippians chapter 4, let's, let's get there. Philippians chapter 4, if you haven't already dive in there, let's, let's get there. Paul has learned to be content in whatever circumstance, in great need, in great hunger, in abundance, and in need. It's the, it's the proverb solution to what he's saying. I, don't, I, I want to remove myself from falsehood and lying, and, and I want to be content. Give me what I need. I don't want to be too hungry. I don't want to be too abundant. And Paul says, I found, the, I found this. I love the quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon, who kind of gives this idea that we need to be taught, we need to learn, we need to cultivate, we need to nurture this idea of contentment in our hearts. He says this, ill weeds grow apace. Covetousness, discontent, and murmuring are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. We need not sow thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough because they are indignous to earth. And so we need not teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. If we were to have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be a garden and the gardener's care. Now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we were to have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be specifically careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. It's this idea that we can't just wish it upon ourselves. It's got to be cultivated. This has got to be nurtured into our heart. It's not just going to come up and say, you're going to be content one day. No. In fact, it's pretty much all downhill from when you're an adult. I mean, it's, it kind of spirals out of control. They, and the studies show that around 74 years old is when you're most likely to be content. Okay? So any of you 74-year-olds or older in here, tell me how that's working out. Okay? Now, it's all downhill. We've got to cultivate it. It's not just going to happen. It's not gonna, just going to come up. Contentfulness is not gonna, just going to be there. We've got to nurture it. We've got to cultivate it. And some things that I want to leave you with in conclusion here um, is just some things that um, I think Paul is addressing here um, and things that are helpful to us, uh, that we can leave this place and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave here nurturing and cultivating a heart of content rather than discontent. I think the first one is that we need to realize that God is God and that he's better than you. I mean, that, that's the first, I mean, l listen, guys, God is in control. He's sovereign over our life. He has 
everything in his hands, and he's got you, and he loves you, and he's in control, and he's God, and you're not, and he is so much better than us. I think also we need to stop comparing ourselves to others. We need to stop it. We need to get rid of that stuff. Because we need to stop comparing other people's trees to our trees. We need to quit comparing the size of their gifts to our gifts. We need to quit comparing ourselves to what we see on the media. Guys, we, we need to stop it. It's not productive. It's not cultivating a heart of contentment at all. It stirs up discontentment. And it hinders the community. Or at least our ability to live in it. I think one of the more powerful ones, because, I mean, let's be honest, it, this isn't an issue that we need to work on outwardly. This, this is an inside-out problem. This, this is an issue that's not going to be done by, by just stop comparing, okay, which is a great point we need to leave here with. It's awesome, okay? Stop it. I'll, I'll reiterate it. But it's not going to be done by just removing ourselves from that stuff. It's an inside-out problem. It is a heart issue. It is an issue about the heart. And we need to repent this morning of it. We need to repent. We need to ask God to teach us what it means to be content. Just like, just like Paul says he learned it, we need, to, we need to say, God, teach us to learn it. Psalm 90, Moses will say, teach us to number our days. He says that because it doesn't come naturally to us, right? We don't number days in our life. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I don't say, okay, I've got, I've got like a, a thousand more to go, you know? You know, live it up. But Moses says, teach us to number our days. We need to say, teach us to be content and to rest. We need to repent. We need to turn from that way. And we need to start living today as if we were content with what God has found, God has in our hearts, in our lives. And finally, um, we need to look to Christ. We need to look to Christ and we need to trust in the peace that passes all understanding. See, right before he gets into this section, Paul in Philippians 4, verse 7, will say this. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he ends this way before he gets into thanking him for the, uh, for the gifts and the trouble that the, the Philippians went to. He ends it with this. I can do all things through Christ who, strength, who strengthens me. Now we talked about this in our Philippians study. Everybody should know that this is not talking about sports, right? It's not talking about um, Guitars or bands or whatnot. We can or or not studying for a test and taking it and passing. That's not what it's talking about. It comes in the context of contentment, and it comes in this context of the peace of God. All things do does not mean what we think, and sometimes it means on the posters out there. All things means that Christ is enough. He is provided. He is strengthening us. And in everything we've got, we've got, we've got Christ. We need to look to that. We need to look to the Savior. A beautiful picture of contentment comes in Genesis chapter 2, the creation account. 
a beautiful picture. Adam is is walking with God. He is obeying God. He is trusting God. There's no greater ambition in his life than to just rest in the peace of God and his, at his disposal. That's Adam, pre the curse. And we know, Genesis chapter 3, that what was alluring to Adam and to Eve was the desire to be like God. Here, sure, eat of the apple and you'll be like him. You, you will know some things that will really make you like God. Oh, really? What, where was the contentment? The, the serpent, Satan, was in the garden and he stirred up in their hearts this idea of discontentment with just a single question. Oh, I could, I could have that? Really? Well, the, the, the apple looks really appealing. So does this desire to be like God. Let's do it. And then all of humanity... All of it was in disarray from that moment on. Here's some really, really good news. Is that Adam, in the garden, was thinking about a tree. Was perfect. He hadn't sinned yet. Walking with God in the presence of God. His mind was on a tree and his heart was discontented. And he fell And all of humanity humanity will be separated from God at that point in need of a Savior. And then we fast forward all this time, and now we see Christ in a garden thinking about a tree. Perfect. Blameless. Presence of his Father. And what does he do? The greatest picture of contentment known to man is he submits his life to the disposal of the Father. There was no higher ambition than Christ than to suffer on the cross so that we can live abundant lives, so that we can be reconciled to him, so that we will be with the Father one day. This is big stuff. And so Christ is not only our example in contentment, but he's our savior in our discontentment. There's there's nothing. Ross sent me a quote this, uh, this week. If you are not content today, there's nothing that you can buy that will change that this weekend. I'll go a step further. There's no present under the tree this season that will end your discontentment. It's not about that. It's a heart issue. There there is not a present the size of anything that will change your discontented heart. The only thing that will is the person that hung on the tree. Christ. His peace that is over our lives. Find that peace. Focus on it. Repent this morning. If you need to talk to somebody this morning, I'm happy to talk to you about that. Guys, I lived it this week. I've repented this week on my knees just thinking, God, I'm sorry. I I was thinking of only myself. So if you're there today, I encourage you to repent. Talk to somebody about it this morning. The gift of wisdom is this, guys, that we can only find the peace 
in God through his son Jesus. There's nothing else. There's nothing else this evening that will satisfy that. Let's pray. Father, we... Some of us are in this room are um, struggling greatly. That this sermon landed on the ears of some pretty hard times. It, it landed on the ears of financially troublesome times. And they're not getting what, well, why, why, why do I have this discontented heart? I, I don't have anything. What, what's the deal? And, and they start the whole cycle of the ugliness. And God, I pray for them right now. I pray that you would come into their life and that you would fill them with the peace that passes all understanding. And God, uh, for the people that are uh, content in this room, we thank you for that. And we thank you. Let them help those of us who struggle with it. I pray that we would know and understand that there's nothing this season that would help, that would guide us more than your son Jesus. 